uh, guests that we're glad came out. And uh, Rose has some special guests with her. So uh, very good to, to see both of you. Uh, I want to just uh, let you know that uh, maybe you noticed when you walk in or you didn't that there's a little library outside the door there. Um, and so I've set those books out again and they're available uh, for you uh, to borrow. There's not a complicated system. It's um, just a sheet of paper. And if you take a book, you write the name of the book and your name on the sheet of paper and it's done. Um, and then we'll come looking for you in six months when you don't bring it back. <coughs> we expect you to have it read by then. You know, none of this, oh, I've got half of it still to go, okay? You've got six months. Get it done. <coughs> so uh, anyway, that's, that's available. And uh, they, just as a reminder, they are books uh, written by Church of Christ authors and uh, on a variety of subjects. So there's a couple of rules that I've made. Uh, they're... Church of Christ authors, they're not commentaries, and um, so they're, they're generally books about uh, living, life, and uh, everyday topics, and um, they're five years or less, written in the last five years, so we're trying to keep it uh, current and not, also the other thing is we don't build up a huge library of books that people stopped reading five years ago. So uh, anyway, it's there for you to look over. We are continuing the story of uh, Joseph today. We started it last week. We're doing this in, in two weeks. Uh, we, when we left off last week, we, we were um, in Genesis chapter 39, and uh, we received a, a nice summary of Joseph's story uh, in the reading there from Acts. Uh, but we, it, it's quite a bit longer when you actually... Uh, read it starting in um, really in chapter 37 of Genesis. And so we just did a couple of chapters uh, last week, um, 37 and 39. And uh, so we pick up today in 40. Where we pick up, Joseph is isolated in an Egyptian dungeon after a false accusation has been made against him. And on the one hand, this is a, a desperate circumstance. Uh, Joseph has very little reason to trust God. Like when you're, I can't speak from experience, but when you're in an Egyptian dungeon, you know, 2,000 years before Jesus, it's a pretty primitive setting. Right? There's no television in your cell. There's no Wi-Fi. Right? I mean, like there's nothing. You take those away and there's nothing left, right? I don't know what the food's like. Um, I don't know what sort of work he has to do. But the circumstances here are not good. I don't know if he got wet when it rained. It says dungeon, but it could be prison. Um, you know, it's sort of whatever the, a, an ancient Egyptian prison exactly looked like. That's where Joseph finds himself. Why? Because he was faithful to God. Because he wouldn't sleep with his uh, master's wife. And, and so his faithfulness to God has got him to one of the worst places on earth. <laughs> Why should he trust God? Like, where do you go from here? What's your relationship with God like when you're in this situation? Uh, and so what we, 
what we find is, or, or we, the question we want to ask is, does Joseph have faith in God? What kind of faith does he have? If you think back just a few generations to Abraham, who was his great-grandfather, Abraham really didn't know God until one day he gets this voice, he gets this calling that says, hey, come and relocate from Ur of the Chaldees, come over to the land of Canaan, and one day I'm going to give it to your descendants. And that's all he knew about God. There, there was no Ten Commandments. There was no great big revelation of God's character to him. We're not told that he walked daily with Abraham as he did with Adam and Eve. And yet Abraham acted on faith and made this move. And, and then as we keep coming with Isaac and then with Jacob, again we, we get little glimpses of God. But it's nothing like what we're going to get when he reveals himself to Moses and the people of Israel in the giving of the law. Their knowledge and their understanding of God is um, very basic at this point. And so where does Joseph fit into this? He, he knows this God. Does he know that there's only one God? Does he accept that all other gods are false? That really hasn't been emphasized at this point in the biblical story from Abraham through to Joseph. Um, and, and so... It seems that Joseph, as, as we look for faith in his life, he's committed to the faith of his fathers. And, and that's like the family God that he is worshipping, that he is loyal to. We see in his refusal to betray his master, we see that there's some ethical standards that come with it, that, that to uh, do that would have insulted his God. So there's a, a little bit of understanding here about who God is and what he, how he wants him to live. But we also, as we look at the, the life of Joseph, we don't have um, long speeches about the goodness of God. We don't have long speeches about the relationship of, or the character of God. But we do find some conversations and we pick up a sense of, God, of Joseph's relationship uh, with God. In chapter 40, and verse 8, Joseph is in prison. And a couple of other prisoners have been uh, from Pharaoh's palace have been thrown in there. And they have dreams. And they're disturbing dreams. And, they, and Joseph sees them and says, hey, you guys look like you had a rough night. And they're like, yeah, the mattress was a bit lumpy. Um, and, and on top of that, we had bad dreams. And so he says, well, tell me about them. And so they describe the, the dreams. But what's interesting is that Joseph doesn't say, well, hey, I'm really good at interpreting dreams. Okay? I, th this is like something I'm really talented at. In fact, I'm thinking of taking my dream-telling show on the road next year, and uh, you know, I, I think you, know, you guys could buy in right now if you want, but let's, let's have yours first. Right? He's not about himself in this situation. In fact, he, he says to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Okay, so he says, you're troubled by your dreams. And he says, well, hey guys, we can fix that. We can help you out because the interpretation of dreams belongs to God. Not because I'm 
so good. Uh, and, and then he goes ahead and he accurately predicts the outcome of their imprisonment. Uh, one of them is killed and the other returns to serve in Pharaoh's palace. A little while later, Pharaoh has a uh, rough night with bad dreams. And he wakes up and the whole palace knows that Pharaoh had bad dreams. And the, the servant that had been in prison uh, tells Pharaoh, hey, I know a guy that's really good with interpreting dreams because no one else could make sense of Pharaoh's dreams. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. When Joseph comes to him, Pharaoh says, hey, you're the guy that interprets dreams, right? Joseph says, no, I can't help you. You're like, what? Joseph, this is your big moment. You're a prisoner in an Egyptian prison, and now you have access to the king of Egypt, the most, one of the most powerful empires, nations in the world, and your answer in chapter 41, verse 16 is, I cannot do it. He continues, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You see, again, he, he deflects away from himself towards God. The credit goes to God. And he goes on and he, again, correctly interprets the dream as I presume God gives him this insight. And he says, your dream means that there's going to be seven years of prosperity. And it will be followed by seven years of famine. And, and, and that's the meaning of the dream. He, what, what Joseph then adds to it is he says, you should use the seven years of prosperity to prepare for the seven years of famine. And he has some suggestions for how to do that. Well, Pharaoh's impressed, and he says, okay, that sounds like a plan. And I think you're the guy to run it. Um, and so he makes Joseph second in command in the land of Egypt with particular responsibility for overseeing the collection of food during the seven years of prosperity, and then the distribution of food uh, during the famine. So it seems as though things have turned out pretty well for Joseph. But what, what I want us to take away is just where do we see his faith at play here? We see his faith in the way that he gives credit to God for these things that he could very easily have taken credit for himself. Now, we don't have time to go through each step of Joseph's story. It's quite a few chapters. But the summary is this. Because of the famine, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt uh, looking for food. Eventually, Joseph reveals himself to them because they don't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, sounds like an Egyptian. Okay? So he, he is an Egyptian in their eyes. And... and they, and, and so eventually, though, he reveals himself. He recognizes them when they can't recognize him. They then go and get their father, Jacob, and they relocate the entire family to Egypt under Joseph's care and protection. And so I want to take a few minutes here, not to go over the details of the story, uh, but to highlight another couple of occasions where we see Joseph giving credit to God. And in uh, chapter 41, Joseph has been made second in command. He's given the daughter of the high priest, one of the priests, as his wife. No doubt a, a great honor. 
uh, to, to marry into a family of, of influence. And he has two sons. Uh, and so we see their names here. If I get that to work. Might you need you to do the first one, Jim, if you can. Just click it. Uh, but the first son is Manasseh. And he, we're told that the, the reason he's called Manasseh is... Uh, sorry, let me see. I've got it here. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Okay? So um, the name of his son reflects his relationship with God. That God has done this in my life. He's made me forget all this uh, trouble. And then the second son is Ephraim. And, and the written reason he's given the, the name Ephraim, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And so, again, it reflects his relationship with God. That, that even though that I'm in this land of suffering, uh, God has made me fruitful, has helped me to prosper. And, uh, and so uh, we see these names as an expression of faith. But I want you to notice how even in his elevated position, even as he tries to forget about his family, right? He wants to forget about his brothers who sold him, wanted to kill him, and then settled for selling him into slavery. His brothers who could be, who he could easily hold responsible for him ending up in an Egyptian prison. He says, I want to forget about them. That's Manasseh, right? God has made me forget all about my troubles. Um, even as in, in this now as second in command in the nation of Egypt, even with life going well, each of the boys' names mentions trouble and suffering, Right? Isn't that interesting? Like each of the boys' names could have said, hey, I'm second in command. Hey, I live in a mansion. <laughs> hey, God's good to me. Yeah. Hey, I found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like he could have had all sorts of names for his son. But both of the names reflect trouble and suffering. His experience to this point in life had formed his had formed who he is, had formed his identity in a way that his wealth and power couldn't remove. And I think there's something really important there for us to think about how have we been formed by our life experiences. Who we are is a, a culmination of our experiences, what we've learned and how we've responded and we've been formed in those ways. The people around us are the same. We sort of talked about this Last week, how everybody's story is different. Somewhere, though, in the nine years between Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dreams and when his brothers come to visit, uh, Joseph comes to see God's hand in his life. Not just about, oh, God is helping me get through my trouble and suffering. But rather that God has um, been doing something good here. Because have a look, I'll put it on the screen, but in chapter 45 and verse 5, he tells this to his brothers. He says, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. That's quite a sentence. 
facts, isn't it? Um, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Don't be angry with yourselves. <laughs> like, that, he, he's able to recognize that God took what they did that was, you know, this heinous action of selling their brother into slavery. And he says, God has been able to use this in a way that now I'm in a position to save lives. To save the lives of my family, to save the lives of this nation, to save the lives of people beyond the borders of this nation. And so God has worked something out in ways that we couldn't expect. So as he reflects on his life, he doesn't just say, hey, I really pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I took advantage of every opportunity that came my way. I, 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 I struggled. I worked hard. I dedicated myself. And look, I got to the top. Rather, he says, no, God has been working in my life to send me ahead of you. In verse 7 of 45, he says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So now we've reached the point in the sermon where I tell you that if you just remain faithful to God through difficult times, um, you'll eventually be made the vice president of whatever country you happen to be living in at the time. Okay? Except it doesn't apply to me because I'm ineligible in this country. Um, so... That would seem to be the obvious application, right, of the story of Joseph. That if you end up in a prison for righteous means, you'll, God will lift you up and make you vice president. Um, I think most of us recognize that's not going to work, mostly because there's only one position of vice president in this country, and you know, the mathematics just aren't real good. We'd get about an hour each or something, I think, if that was how it went. So what is the the lesson. There are hurts and pains in our fallen world that remain painful for long periods of time. I think we can testify to that, can't we? That, that there are, are people and relationships or, or just lives that we've lost. Maybe there's health and abilities and talents and things that we've enjoyed that we've lost. There's a lot of hurts, regrets, guilt, things that aren't able to be put back together that stay with us for a long time. And in fact, sometimes they become part of our identity, don't they? What do we call a, a child that loses their parents? We call them an orphan, right? That becomes part of their identity. Uh, a spouse that, is, that loses, or, or a person that loses their spouse, becomes a widow or a widower, right? That becomes part of their identity. In marriage that ends, we might say they're, they're a divorcee. You know, that somehow it becomes part of their, one of, the, one of the many labels that attaches to that person. And so these, these hurts and these experiences become part of who we are. They influence how we see the world, how we see people around us, and most importantly, they influence how we see God. And so Joseph's story actually reminds us that success in life doesn't remove those hurts. Joseph is living in a palace 
married to an influential, into an influential family. He has two sons of his own, and he names them Trouble and Strife. Because that's how he sees himself. That's the story that he's living within. God's present, though. Because he says, God has brought me through this trouble and strife. And and so his faith is saying that even though I've had all this turmoil, even though my brothers betrayed me, even though I've been falsely accused, even though I've spent months or years in an Egyptian prison, even though I was isolated and nobody knew where I was or who I was, God was faithful, God was with me, and God brought me through it. That is his faith. And so faith reminds us, it helps us to keep moving when we're hurting. Faith says that God is still with me, God is still doing something, God is still present working in the world. Faith reminds us God is in control, whether we're in a dungeon or a palace. God is with us. Now, I think people are funny, um, and, and maybe you relate to this, or you know someone that does. Uh, no need to raise hands. But when we're in places of despair, right? when we're in those tough places in life, we cry out to God. And we say, God, do you remember me? God, I'm over here. Do you hear me? Do you see me? Are you looking at me? Have you forgotten me? Have you abandoned me? Are you on vacation? And, and, and we ask these questions of God. In fact, what's really interesting is the Psalms are filled with people asking these questions of God. The, the Psalm 74, for instance, says, Oh God, it, this is the very first verse, it says, Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? <laughs> That's how it felt for that person. They hadn't been alive forever, but they felt like God had rejected them forever. And it goes on and, and says, not only is he rejected, he says, but God remember us as though he's forgotten them. Um, Psalm 83, just a, a few pages over, and you could just pick out so many different Psalms, but Psalm 83 says, O God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. Three ways that God is ignoring his people. He's remaining silent. He's turning a deaf ear. He's standing away from them, standing aloof, distant from them. And and so these people are saying, God, where are you? You've forgotten me. And, And sometimes life is tough, right? Sometimes our prayers aren't answered. Sometimes our health doesn't improve. Sometimes things don't get better. Sometimes the work situation is just keeps going downhill and becoming harder and harder. Sometimes we're just saying, God, is this what I was born for? Is this my purpose? Have you forgotten about me? God, go back and check the story of my life. I think we've got off track here somewhere. Right? And, and so we, that's our question. God, have you forgotten me? And on the other hand, though, when we find ourselves in in the palaces, when we find ourselves in the places of the comfort and success, suddenly it can become easy for us to forget God. And God's up there saying, hey, 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 over here. I put you there. I carried you. I I got you. I did this for you. Like, you're healthy. And, And we're like, wow, I've 
worked really hard. I've got a good education. My job's going well. My kids are kids. You know, like, you know, <laughs> like, like we're in a good place. And, and we forget about God because there's no urgency now. There's no urgency for us to pray to him. There's no urgency for us to ask him for something. There's no urgency for us to, for him, us to ask him to make us a better person. Like there's just, we've lost that. Because we've reached a place in life where there's no obvious need for God. Because life is going well. And so on the one hand, when we're down here, we're saying, God, have you forgotten us? And when we get up here, we're saying, we, God's saying, have you forgotten me? This tension, I think, is well described in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. And uh, I'm actually going to start reading in verse 7. The, the writer says, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. That's the first thing. Second thing, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The writer is aware of the dangers of both excessive wealth and poverty. Not dangers in a physical sense, but dangers in our relationship with God and how damaging they can be. Excessive wealth can uh, prompt us to forget God and to ask, who is the Lord? While excessive poverty can prompt us to act in ways that dishonor God. And so Joseph demonstrates faith in God in both contexts. However, I believe there's this little, that's not the whole story. You see, there's this period of time where Joseph trusts in his own wisdom. Where, where Joseph goes out and he knows what's best because after all, he is second in command to Pharaoh. And, and not, not every, everyone agrees with my take on this, but this is how I see it, you, is that when he meets his brothers, he doesn't stop and go and talk to God and say, God, how should I handle this situation? These guys tried to kill me. These guys sold me into slavery. Like, God, what am I supposed to do now that they're showing up here in front of me? Instead, Joseph starts playing games with them. <laughs> He's like, oh, I got the upper hand. I'm the king and they're the servants. Uh, I know who they are, they don't know who I am, and they would like food, and I have food. Hmm. And, and so he, he begins this, this process of, of messing with them. He threatens them. He keeps uh, some of them in jail. He, he toys with their emotions. He returns their money with no explanation, making them nervous wondering what's going on. He demands they bring back their brother, most, most loved by their father. Um, and, and ultimately, they get so hungry that they just have to capitulate and have to do it. They get so desperate. And, and so he's, he's sort of playing this, um, stringing them along. And nowhere does it say that God was telling him to do this. 
But no one was able to stop him. He was Pharaoh's right-hand man. And I believe what happens in chapter 45 of Genesis. Joseph um, finally makes himself known. Uh, We're said here, it begins, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about him. I believe in this moment, Joseph gave up the idea of revenge. Joseph went along with what God intended and, 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 uh, towards reconciliation. And he said, I know. This, this was where he said, I, I know that God has worked this for good. And um, I know that he can work the future for good. And I forgive you that we can have a future together. Go back, get your father, move here, we'll make everything go well. And so I think that this is where he returns to his faith. Rather than trusting his power, rather than trusting his authority, he says, no, this is what God wants out of this circumstance. It's not a time for my revenge. Rather, it's a time for reconciliation. And so it's only when he trusts God to work things out rather than taking his own revenge. It's only then that Joseph receives the release of the grief and the hurt that he's held on to all these years. You see that weeping that, that is so loud that it can be heard throughout the house, can be heard in, in the house next door where Pharaoh lives. Like that is the, the release of the pain, the anger, the hurt that he's been hanging on to. And, and that's been eating him up. It's the trouble, it's the, the strife it, it, that, that's been part of his story. And he says, we get the opportunity to rewrite it. I think there's, that is what it means to live by faith. It's to allow God to rewrite our stories. To give us a new identity, to make us new creations. Faith means keeping our eyes on God, whether in our personal version of a dungeon or a palace. It means trusting our hurts to God. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, um, we find these words from Jesus. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you, so team up with me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now let's be honest, it doesn't always feel like that. Sometimes God asks us to do hard things, doesn't he? Sometimes Joseph had to do hard things, ended in jail. But when we keep that anger, that hurt, that bitterness, resentment to ourselves, when we're unwilling to uh, let go of that, to, to involve God in our life, to live the way that he wants us to live, then we, we have a, a burden upon us. And, and so Jesus is saying, trust me to get you through this. 
And Jesus invites each of us to trust Him, to allow Him to carry our burdens, to give up our responsibility to fix everything. He invites us to rest, to trust Him, to walk by faith, whether in dungeons or in palaces. Now, I just want to put a little note on here at the end and say sometimes we take away from from a message like this, a story like this, is that, oh, I have to forgive no matter what's been done to me and just move on and, and, and let everything be gone. But uh, I don't want to add guilt to you. Sometimes that kind of forgiveness uh, takes years. It took Joseph years, right, to be able to come to a point where he could forgive his brothers. And so... Um, what I believe, living by faith, when we're talking about this kind of forgiveness that we see here, is that we live with a desire to forgive. Now, sometimes, I, I don't think that, that, that if we were to take Joseph's example, that we would say, hey, everybody should go back and reconcile with the people that tried to murder you. Um, that may not be safe. Uh, it's not the, the point of the story. The point of the story is to say, hey, we've been forgiven. And as difficult as it is and as hard as it is, I need to reach a place in my life. I recognize that God wants me to forgive. Now, it takes two people to reconcile. Right? You can't reconcile on your own. So in this instance, Joseph's family wanted that as well. So I, I, I'm not trying to say, hey, it's up to you to go and fix everything. Because life is complicated. And I could do a whole sermon series on, on the process of forgiveness. And so I, I don't want you to walk away and just think that today because I, I think that can actually be a negative message out of this, of, of just putting more guilt and pressure upon yourself. But faith says, I recognize what God wants for my life. And I want to grow into that. I want to grow into it. I know where I'm going. I may not be there today. I maybe can't overcome that hurt with a snap of my fingers. But Jesus died for me. Jesus forgave me. Jesus does take my burden. And that's where I'm getting to. I'm going somewhere better. It's when Joseph took a detour and said, I'm going to take this in my own direction. I'm going to handle this my own way. I'm going to, you know, I can do whatever I want here. That's when things got bad. That's when things got messy. That's when his family got all, all sort of distorted uh, and fear and, and anxiety crept into the picture. And, and so for, for us, our message is, Keep walking by faith, whether in dungeons or in palaces.